Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Genesis 32 tonight. Genesis 32. Thank you for being here this evening. Genesis 32. We're going to be in the entire chapter tonight, but for our reading, I'd like you to scroll down to verse 24, and we'll read that to the end of the chapter. Genesis 32, verse 24. Thank you for being here tonight. Genesis 32. And Jacob was left alone. The rest of the man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. But as a prince, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him, and he said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh, even unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. I call your attention tonight over here to verse 30. And there in verse 30 that Jacob had an important change in his life. He identified a location that was very special to him. I don't know if you ever had a time or moment in your life where just you really need to get a hold of God and God to get a hold of you. You've identified that place as a place that was very special to you. And this was one of two places that Jacob identified his life. The first one was a place called Bethel over 20 years before. And now 20 years later, in verse 30, he finds this place called Peniel. And Peniel, if you'll notice, verse 30 means to see God face to face. And tonight we want to look at a passage of Scripture that speaks to us about face to face with God. Seeing God face to face and God seeing you and me face to face. And may we pray tonight that the Lord would help us to do in our lives like he did with Jacob and that we'd recognize the secret to power is exactly what we find here in some supporting scriptures we'll see this evening. The Father, bless your word. Jesus prayed, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. James said, cleanse us from all filthiness of flesh and superfluity of naughtiness that we may receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save souls. Settle our hearts. Cleanse our lives, we pray tonight. We pray, Father, that we'd be clean vessels, holy and acceptable before God, vessels unto honored, sanctified and meet for the Master's use. Father God, we pray tonight for that which is so strong in us, that, Lord, you would bring it to a place of weakness, and that which is so weak in us that we'd realize how much we need to depend upon you. Father, tonight we claim Galatians 2.20s. We start this message that we'd say, even as, as Paul did, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Tonight, I pray that we would look at these scriptures and these verses. And though we may have read it many times and perhaps have heard many messages, Lord, may you speak to us in a very special, distinct way to the glory of God. And we pray for these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Wrestling is a sport that involves endurance, strength, a lot of training. When I was a kid, I, my, my, uh, my grandparents immigrated here from China back in the 1920s, so by about the time I became a kid, they were pretty Americanized. 
And I think as early as about three or four years of age, I remember my grandmother and grandfather getting me hooked on professional wrestling. Now, professional wrestling is not real wrestling, okay? But uh, if you think about professional wrestling, it's about good guys being versus bad guys. It's kind of an entertainment-driven sport. And I remember growing up as a kid, just some of the entertainment names they had, like Bobo Brazil and, and guys like Andre the Giant and names like that. And, of course, modern-day names are like Hulk Hogan and people like that. That is all, that is all, it's all entertainment. There's nothing real about any of that. But then there's competitive wrestling. And competitive wrestling pits two very strong wrestlers in the same weight class against each other within a certain time limit. I, I don't remember what it is. I don't know if it's two minutes or three minutes. But when you're a wrestler, it feels like it's forever. And they're pitted against each other to see who can, uh, can uh, outdo the other one. And the goal in wrestling is either to pin your opponent's shoulders on the, on the, on the mat for a count out or to win by points, you make enough moves on him that you win by points. And of course, if you've ever watched the Olympics and watched, uh, you know, the, uh, the Olympic wrestling, it's very fascinating as you watch all the different things they do and the moves that they make and, and how they make something that seemed would be difficult for probably people like you and I who probably don't do that. Uh, they make it seem so simple there. Tonight we are looking at a wrestling match. We're looking at a man who was not trained to wrestle. He was not an amateur wrestler. He was not a professional wrestler. But we see a man in the Bible who wound up wrestling with God, or if you might say God wrestles with him. And this wrestling match, if you'll notice, is we find mentioned here in verse 25 of this match between God and Jacob. Jesus is wrestling with Jacob. Tonight we're looking at Jacob the deceiver, uh, once again taking advantage of people, but this time God getting a hold of him. Jacob, leading up to this incident for 20 years, has been down in the area we now call Syria. It's called Padanaram. It was the area where his mother grew up. His mother's brother, Laban, was there. And she sent him there to find a wife. And there down in Padanaram, you remember the story there that Jacob met his wife, uh, his wife Rachel there. But his life was turned upside down. He got, he got involved in business with his uncle Laban, or would his father-in-law Laban, you might say. And his life was all upside down. This place, Padanaram, had many memories for his life. Jacob was spent close to one-third of his life down there at Padanaram. He, this was the birthplace of his wives, his father-in-law, and eventually his return home to his homeland. And this journey here, as he leaves Padanaram, and he's crossed the brook, he's walked several miles away, we find in verse 24, Jacob is left alone, and there while he's left alone, Jacob has an encounter with God. He meets God face to face. I want you to see some things about Jacob. I want you to see some things about you, me, and Jacob, and that the Lord would speak to us about. Notice first of all, as we go to the beginning of the chapter, notice we see Jacob in distress. Verse 1, we read, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. When we start the chapter, it's a very uplifting, encouraging moment. We read all of chapter 31, Jacob is in turmoil. In chapter 31, Jacob has had an argument with his father-in-law. They've argued about things. His father-in-law has cheated him. He's changed his wages. In fact, all the time he's been down there, uh, up there in Syria or Padanaram, he's receiving the same kind of treatment that Jacob was guilty of doing to other people. And so now Jacob had gotten the upper hand on Laban. And so they parted ways. And if you read chapter 31, it's very intriguing. The last several verses, they established a covenant with each other. It was a very involved covenant. And in this covenant, they pledged each other that Jacob would never return back to see Laban and Laban would never pursue after Jacob. Now, Laban was upset with Jacob. He was upset with him because somehow he lost his idols. He did not know that uh, his daughter Rachel had stolen them. She had hid them from him. But he was concerned that his idols had been taken. And as far as Jacob was concerned, he wanted to get away from Laban. He 
wanted to get away from Pateram. He wanted to go back home. And he got a vision from God. We read as early as I think in chapter 31, verse 3, that the Lord came to him and said to Jacob, he says, return back to your homeland. You might say that that was something that God wanted him to do many years before, but Jacob delayed. Jacob was under pledge for 14 years to serve his father-in-law for his wives. So technically he could have left after that 14th year. But Jacob just kind of lingered around there. And he had 13 children that were born. Twelve of them were the sons, which would go on to become the tribes of Israel. And as we look at here, Jacob was just glad in chapter 32, verse 1, to be on his way. Notice it says he went on his way. I almost imagine the covenant has been signed, that the blood has been spilled, they've, they've pledged each other that neither are going to see each other again. And he almost feels like, man, I'm just glad I'm going to go back home. I can start my life all over again. I came here with nothing. Now I'm going back with much. He had much in the way of possessions. He had much in the way of family. I mean, he was just a very well-to-do man compared to when he first went down there. And you might say there was just a, oh boy, I'm so glad I'm getting away from my father-in-law. He's just getting away from him. He's going back home. And as he did so, the first thing God does, he gives him a word of encouragement. Now, God had already told him it was God's will for Jacob to go back home. And God already told him, go back in your way. I'm going to take care of you. And the first thing we see here in chapter 32, verse 1, is God giving Jacob this assurance, this word of encouragement. Notice in verse 30, chapter 32, verse 1, it says the angels of God met him. And he knew distinctly these were God's angels. He'd seen angels before over at Bethel. He saw angels ascending, descending upon what we know as Jacob's ladder, a ladder that ascended, that descended from heaven to earth. And he saw these angels before, and now he sees them again. In fact, he was so intrigued by these angels. We read in chapter 32, verse 2, he called them, this is God's host, or Mahanium. He called that the place where God's angels met with him, God's host, God's army. Now, God is sovereign and God knows before we do what's going on. And God knows how to protect us and God knows how to take care of us. And God, God was trying to get a hold of Jacob in a loving way to let him know, Jacob, I know you're going to go back home and you've got some apprehension in your heart about facing your brother Esau because you haven't seen him for 20 years. And the last thing you remember about Esau is that Esau wanted to kill you because you out, you, you, you took advantage of him. You took his blessing and you took his birthright. But he said, I want to give you assurance that no matter how big Esau has gotten since you've been away no matter what you're going to encounter, I'm with you. I'm going to cover you. And I just want to say tonight, I'm thankful for God's angels. I thank you. I thank the Lord tonight that the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. I told the story before, but I'll tell it again. Uh, several years ago, it was uh, right right at the time we had Dwight Smith here for the very first time preaching a spring revival. And, and we just had a wonderful time with Brother Smith there. And I had stayed late that night, and he and I grabbed a quick bite to eat. And we stayed a little bit late. And, and I was driving him back. It was probably about 1030 or so. And uh, my, my the last one to leave church was was my daughter, Carice. She had gone on uh, ahead of me, and she was still single at that time. And as she got home, she pulled up towards the driveway, and my wife thought it was me pulling up, so she thought, well, you know, I'll go open the door to help him out. She was out in the kitchen, and uh, Carice was just, you know, she was trying to find her keys. She was fumbling around her purse. You know, ladies, how it is. Sometimes you can't find your keys. It's just like everything else gets lost inside your purse there, amen, you know? And she was trying to find her keys. She didn't recognize when she pulled up her car that there was a car across the street from our house, and uh, inside the car were a couple occupants. There wearing hoodies and they were not there for good intentions but she didn't pay attention to that as she walked her way up to the front door if you can imagine this the front door the one of the the one that was on the driver's side kind of came up behind her he had he had uh, soft soled shoes on she didn't hear him behind him uh, behind her and she's trying to find her way and he's probably the distance between where this pulpit is right here to about right over here about that far away from her my wife thought it was me coming home normally my wife does not open the door for me she thought well normally he comes home he has a lot of things that he brings in I'll, i'll just go open the door for him and she didn't know that this, this stealthy figure was behind my daughter, Carice. And as my wife opened the door with her left hand, 
The first thing she saw is not just Carissa at the doorstep trying to open the door. She saw the stealthy figure behind her with a gun in his hand pointed at what when she opened the door it just took him by surprise. He didn't expect that. And immediately my wife, who normally doesn't react very well, immediately she just kicked into action. With her right hand, she grabbed Carice, pulled Carice in this way. And with her shoulder, she pushed the door and closed the, sh- the door and just kind of closed the guy out. He didn't know what happened at that moment in time. Well, quickly he got into a car, his car, and they took off down the hill. They never found him. But we found out later on that there had been a number of instances kind of related to that, that area. But I was thankful that night as I got home. I got home. My whole house was in turmoil. Everybody was yelling and screaming. says, don't open the door. Wait, somebody's back at the door. And I opened the door. And there's Justin standing there looking at me like this. And I said, don't shoot. I'm th- th- it's not me. That, you know, it's not who you think it is. And I had no idea what was going on there and all of these kind of things. But, you know, that night, I mean, it was a very unsettled moment. The sheriff's department came. There were statements that had to be made. It was a very late night. The very two days later, we were to leave on a missions trip to go out of town. And I, and I was just thinking that night, late at night, as we were thinking about how, how horrific that situation could have been. I was just thankful that night. I said, you know, I'm thankful for God's angels that were around us. And I want to remind you tonight, God's angels are about us. They're His ministering spirits that are around us. And God was showing Jacob at that moment of time that there were these ministering spirits around him to protect him. And you'll notice here, though, Jacob, as he called that place Mahanium, Jacob was still not in his mind, convinced in his mind that God was going to take care of him. Notice we read in verse 3, it says, Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau's brother unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall you speak to my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith thus, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there till now, and I have oxen and asses and flocks and men servants and women servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I might find grace in thy sight. So here's Jacob. He has this, God sends these angels the moment he leaves Paternam, the moment he's out of that territory, God sends this large host of angels to tell him, basically, we're going to escort you. We're going to be in front of you. We're going to be behind you. We're going to be around you. We're going to guide you along the way. But Jacob is still thinking the old way that he did. You see, Jacob was the kind of guy that always thought about Jacob. He always thought about how to get ahead. He always thought about, about how he would protect himself and how he'd take advantage of other people. And deep down in his heart, he was thinking, I'm not sure if Esau's changed in his mind. He says, just in case, I want to send a messenger ahead to let Jacob, to let Esau know this is a different Jacob. I'm 20 years older. I want you to know, brother, I'm 20 years older. I want you to know, brother, not only I'm 20 years older, I've got a bunch of children. I've got a bunch of possessions. I left home with nothing, but look how I've prospered. And I want to, I want to share this wealth with you. And Jacob in his mind was trying to appease Esau and to try to get on the soft side of Esau, thinking that Esau still hated him. And so he's thinking in his mind, I've got to do whatever I can to be protective of my situation. Well, notice the response he gets back. Verse 6 says, And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau. Notice this. And also he cometh to meet thee, and 400 men with him. Now you can imagine if you were Jacob... Jacob, used to doing his own thing, very independent, very stubborn, very self-willed, very stuck in his ways. By the way, very disobedient in his life as well there too. Stuck in his own ways, filled with unbelief. He only came to God when he needed God. Here's Jacob sending this, this entourage ahead to find out from Esau what was going on with him. And this entourage comes back and he says, We met your brother, we saw him. He's coming to greet you instead. He's coming with 400 men. And you can imagine when they heard that, when, when Jacob heard that report, Jacob is filled with fear and Jacob is filled with consternation. Look what the Bible says in verse 7. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed and he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands. Notice as we focus on the first part of verse 7. Jacob is distressed. Jacob is greatly afraid. 
Jacob is fearful for his life. The same fear he had when his father Isaac and his mother Rebekah sent him away. That same fear came back to him again. Have you ever had a situation where you were so filled with stress or panic and worry, concerned how something was going to happen, and then things worked out, only to find out maybe maybe months later, years later, the same kind of occurrence happened, and you had that same feeling that would recur inside your heart? That's what he was going through. The Bible says he was greatly afraid. He was distressed. He was scared out of his wits. His imagination was running crazy, thinking that the worst would happen to him. His imag- He imagined an angry Esau coming, with 400 men armed with swords coming to take his life out. As far as he was concerned, Esau was coming to take revenge on Jacob. Jacob was distressed. I wonder tonight how many of us are at a place in life where we're afraid, greatly afraid or distressed. I wonder how many of us tomorrow morning will start and something will come along our way that we did not anticipate, that we did not plan for, that we didn't think would happen and we become greatly afraid and distressed. You see, Jacob was at a place as we look at these first seven verses. Jacob has not changed Jacob still has not let go of the sins and the weights which easily beset him. Jacob, as we go through this chapter, is a man that does not let go. He's a man that's still holding on to the same things, the same ways, the same attitude, the same bad habits, the same sins. He's a guy that doesn't let go. He hasn't let go of being a deceiver. Yes, he went away for 20 years. And even though he came back with more possessions, the heart... The heart of Jacob still had not changed. The demeanor of Jacob had not changed. You might go away from this church and you can go away and come away, come back with more wealth and you can come back with a little bit more gray hair and look a little bit more mature. But if your heart hasn't changed and you haven't gotten closer to Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how much wealth you have. It doesn't matter how much maturity you may have physically. What really counts is are you different? When people see you five years from now, ten years from now, do they see somebody that's been faithful to God? Do they see somebody that stayed by the stuff, that's still walking with God and serving the Lord. I say tonight as we look at Jacob, Jacob has not changed. He's the same old Jacob that he was 20 years before. He's not let go of taking advantage of people. He's not let go of trying to solve problems his way. He's not let go of not having faith. He's not let go of being a pretender type of believer. He's not let go of being inconsistent with what he believed. Jacob is a man who's still holding on to the old ways of life, the old nature, because he's just filled with Jacob. Jacob is distressed. And may I say tonight, sometimes when we're just so consumed with ourselves, and we're so selfish and we just let our world revolves around us. When, when problems come and difficulties come, just kind of look in the mirror and ask yourself, how do I react to those things? Do I react and where well, I'm greatly afraid and distressed and I think the worst is going to happen? Do we go in the mode of thinking, I've got to trust God and believe God's going to help me? Or do I trust God? And by the way, the angels were still there. The angels of God were still there. The Mahanian was still there. But he just kind of lost sight about the fact that God's presence was there with him. And he was just thinking about Jacob and how Jacob was going to solve his problem. Jacob was distressed. Notice verses 9 to 21. We see a second thing. Notice we see Jacob is desperate. Whenever we make a, we have a wrong view of God, there is a tendency to make desperate actions. Jacob shows us what happens when a wrong view of God leads us to desperate actions. Now, he sees this, and we're going to see some things there about about Jacob. Notice the first thing we see in verse 9. Jacob begins to pray. But his praying is more of a reaction instead of a surrender. It's more of a reaction than a response. And he prays a pretty good prayer, to be honest with you. I think he knew something about prayer. He heard his father pray. His father could get a hold of God through prayer. 
His grandfather could get a hold of God through prayer. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and of God of my father Isaac, the Lord which says unto me, Return unto thy country, to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. He's quoting from what God gave him there in chapter 31, I think verse 3. He said, Lord, I am not worthy of all the least of all the mercies, and of all the truth which thou hast shown unto thy servant. And with the staff I passed over, for with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. He said, Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from from the hand of Esau, for I fear him lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And here, Jacob, we see this man praying for the first time in many years because we don't have a record during the whole time he's in Paddan Aram, the whole time he's in Syria. We do not have a record where he really spends time with God and prays to God. Did he pray? Probably he did, but there's no record of it. The first public record we have of Jacob praying since Bethel, back in Genesis 28, 20 years before, is right here at this place where he's left Paddan Aram. He prays. He calls upon the God who gave him promises. He seeks the Lord and wondered this week have you prayed have you sought the lord do you have a prayer life does the praying mean much to you do you just pray with much words or do you pray much with your heart we find jacob praying and i'll be honest with you it was a good prayer he prayed because he was in trouble but may i say tonight if that's the only time we praise when we're in trouble we're not going to go very far in our lives god wants us to pray because he wants us to have that relationship with him he wants us to draw near to him so that he can draw near to us but jacob's only praying because he's in trouble jacob's only praying because that's his last resort he doesn't know what to do he's forgotten about the angels around him yes he quotes the promise that god gave him but he's praying because he wants, he's sending an SOS signal to God. There are flaws in his praying because he's praying again selflessly for what Jacob can get out of it, not to the glory of God, how God's will can be done through his life. So we see him praying. Not only do we see him praying, but notice the second thing about Jacob in his desperation. In his desperation, we see Jacob resorting to a plan B. He sees his problem. He prays to God, but instead of waiting for God to answer him, he goes to plan B. And plan B, if you'll notice in verses 6 to, six to 8, first of all, was to take, to take the, the, his wives, he had two wives and their children, and divide them up into two companies. And he sent one ahead of the other. Notice what he says there. He says in verse, uh, verse 7, he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands. And he says, if Esau come to the one company, smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. Here he goes to plan B. There's two aspects to plan B. And plan B, he's basically saying here, you know, I'm going to divide them up. And uh, I'm going to send one half here and the other half behind him. And if Esau does come with his 400, perchance if they're going to attack us, they can attack the first half and they'll take them out. And at least we'll salvage me and my, my other half. And then we read later on, which we read a little bit further, go to verses 13 to 22 or 21. We find Jacob here then taking some, some of his possessions and he sends it off. Notice the Bible says he wanted to give a, a substantial present to Esau. Notice in verse 14. 200 she-goats and 20 he-goats and 200 ewe lambs and 20 rams and 30 milch camels with their colts and 40 kine and 10 bulls and 20 she-asses and 10 foals. And he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by themselves. And he sent unto his servants, pass over before me and put a space between drove and drove. Watch what he's doing here. And Jacob and his plotting, his manipulation is doing two things. First of all, he's trying to buy the favor of Esau. He's thinking, well, Esau's a material man, a fleshly man. I think what I'll do is I'll buy him off. And he sends some of the best of the possessions, which, by the way, he had taken in an unethical way from his own father-in-law. He'd taken that from his father-in-law. We read about that in a previous chapter there. He takes it from his father-in-law and he sends it over back there. And by the way, whatever he gave, though it was substantial, he had substantially more than what he gave, what he was going to give to Esau. But he's using this to buy his way. 
way. That's how a lot of people are. Sometimes people think, well, money will solve their problems. They try to buy their way out, uh, out of their problem. They try to use money to solve their situation. They think as long as I've got money, that'll be my solution. And then we see something else here. We see this man taking his family, the family he should be defending, the family he should be caring for. He divides his family into half. He says, I'll send, it's probably the first half was probably Leah and Bilpah, Bilhah and Zilpah and their children. And, uh, and on the, on the, uh, he sent ahead and then Rachel and her children would be behind. And he basically sent them ahead thinking, well, you know what? She's not really the one I liked anyway, so I'm just going to send her ahead. And, and if Esau comes with vengeance in his heart, he could take them out. And he's just thinking on that terms. And when you think about everything that Jacob's doing, nothing he does is involving faith. Nothing he does is involving trusting God. Notice Hebrews 11:6 again. Hebrews 11:6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There's no faith in Jacob's praying. There's no faith in his action. Faith is when we let go and let God have his way. But Jacob, remember, is a man that doesn't let go. Jacob is a man who's still holding on. Jacob is a man that doesn't want to let go of the situation. So Jacob sends his, his, his half his family head. And I want to ask you a question. What kind of man who's in a bad part of bad, bad situation in his life. What kind of man could sink so low in his life that he'd sacrifice his wife and his children just to save his own skin? You know what I'm saying? What kind of man would do something like that? What kind of man would, would, would just to save his own self, to protect his own name, to protect his own reputation, to protect everything he's got just so he's not shamed or made to look bad? He would shame his wife. He would shame his children. He would shame his family. He would sacrifice him just to save himself. I mean, that's the kind of man that this man was. I mean, how how low can you descend in your thinking? When we read verses 6 all the way to verses 22, we see a sad, sad state that Jacob's in. He is a desperate man. You know, when you're desperate as a Christian, you do weird things too. You're desperate as a Christian, your thinking's not straight, your thinking's not sound. Desperation brings out what is really inside of us. Desperation shows how much faith we have in God or how little faith we have in God. Desperation shows what kind of our what kind of character we really have. Desperation shows how selfish we are. Desperation shows how much we trust in God. Mark it down, all of us are going to have situations in our life where God's going to allow moments of distress to come in our lives to see will we trust God or will we resort to desperate means? You see, before Jacob would get home. God has allowed something into Jacob's life to bring out how much worse his spiritual health really was. And I wonder tonight, am I talking to someone who's struggling? There's something going on spiritually, relationally, physically. You're trying to find answers and the answers aren't there. You're praying to God, but God's not answering you right away. And though the Mahanian, the angel, the God's host is there, you don't see it. You're trying to take matters in your own hands. And you, this, it didn't happen by a certain time and you're getting antsy about things. The doctor didn't call when you wanted it. The lawyer didn't call when you wanted it. The counselor didn't get back to you when you needed it. The preacher didn't get back to you when you wanted a response. And so now you're taking matters in your own hands. You're deciding, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it this way. Just like Jacob did. I'm wondering... Through all of this, are we showing that we've become desperate instead of dependent upon God? We see Jacob who's distressed. We see Jacob who's desperate. But notice verses 24 to 27. We see Jacob who's disabled. 
So Thomas, could you come up here for a minute? I'm going to use Thomas for an object illustration tonight. She's coming up. Would you notice verse 22? You just have a seat right there, brother. It says, and he rose up that night and he took his two wives and his two women servants and his 11 sons and passed over the Ford, Ford Jabbok. Now, Jabbok is a stream that empties into the Jordan River halfway between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. You might say where that, that ford is located, literally speaking, he was at a crossroads in his life. He was at a cross point. He sends his wives ahead of him. It's the darkest of night. The sun's actually set. He sent everybody ahead. The servants have gone ahead. The animals have gone ahead. The family's gone ahead. The Bible says he took them in verse 23 and sent them over the brook and sent over all that he had. And I'm not sure if Jacob really had in mind of doing this, but Jacob was in such a pickle of a situation. His situation had become so upside down. And his thinking was so unclear. And his heart was in so much turmoil. The Bible gives a description in verse 24 about Jacob. Notice what it says. In verse 24 it says, And Jacob was left alone. It doesn't say Jacob desired to be alone. Jacob was left alone. God is working in Jacob's life. God loved Jacob. By the way, God loves you and me. Aren't you glad about that tonight? Amen. God loved Jacob. God had sent him the Mahanian, the host of God, to protect him. But he didn't recognize it. And he's gone to his plan B, to Jacob's planning, because he's a Jacob that won't let go. Because remember now, as we get this place where he's at the Ford Jabbok, also known as, which we later on would call Peniel. As he's there at this crossroads in his life, Jacob is still plotting. Jacob is still manipulating. Jacob is still trying to think his way out. He's trying to find a plan B and a plan C to get his way out there. And the Bible says, Jacob was left all alone. Mark it down, brother and sister in Christ. When we get to a place where we're so distressed and we become so desperate, God has to get us to a place where we're all alone, where there's nobody else but us and God. Listen, I don't know if you're at that place in your life, but you'll never have power with God. You'll never have the solution from God that you need unless you get alone with God. Jacob did not go there voluntarily. Jacob went there involuntarily. Sometimes I go to the hospitals. I see somebody that's really in a bad situation. It doesn't matter they've got family around them. They're hooked up with IVs and monitors. Wondering what's going on. They're left alone. Sometimes I'll visit someone who's had a loss of a loved one very close to them. We'll walk the room of their home, the different rooms. They'll say, that's where he or she sat. It's empty now. Like David said, where Jonathan said of David, thy seat will be empty. Thou shalt be missed. They're all alone. Not by any choice of their own. Sometimes, perhaps more than we need, God has to bring us to a place we're all alone. Lord, am I supposed to go to Bible college? Lord, am I supposed to go to the mission field? Some man saying, Lord, am I supposed to be a preacher of the gospel? Somebody saying, Lord, am I, should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? What do you want me to do? And Jacob was in this place because Jacob is all about himself. 
Jacob said his wives had, he's just thinking the worst. He's thinking, I know Esau's going to come. He's got 400 men that are armed with swords and they're going to take at least half my family out. They're going to take all my possessions. And he's there all alone. He's thinking about how much I'm going to lose, how much livestock I'm going to lose and how I've lost my business and I'm 20 years older and I'm not old and I'm too old to start all over again. He's thinking, what am I going to do? I'm going to lose my children. And he's not thinking about the promises. He's not thinking about the power of God. He's not thinking about Bethel when he saw the angels ascending and descending upon that ladder when he called that place the house of God and he gave a tithe there and he said God if you'll bring me back I promise to serve you he's not thinking about all that all he's thinking about is saving his own skin all he's thinking about is saving himself he's just in a survival mode Jacob was there all alone I want to tell you tonight God needs us to get alone God needs us to find a place at the altar, some place by your bedside. God needs you to find a place somewhere in your office. God needs you to find a place where you're all alone with Him. My wife got first diagnosed with cancer. It was the month of July, 2005. Second time, excuse me. No, it was the first time, excuse me, it was the first time. And we're just going through turmoil on what she's going to do and all of these things. And we had planned a vacation and we said, well, let's go ahead and go on it anyway. And I, and I was restless, very restless. Many sleepless nights. I tried as best I could to enjoy our vacation. Quite honestly, I wasn't doing very good at that. It was a Thursday morning. I was tossing, turning in bed, praying. Holy Spirit said, son, you've got to get up. You better get up now. I tried to find a place where I could get alone with God. My heart was beating so fast, I thought my heart was going to come out of my chest. I went into the restroom. I don't recommend you do this, but I did this. Went to the restroom. I took a mat. It was a tile floor. I kneeled on the mat. I closed the lid to the toilet. I poured out my heart to God probably from somewhere like 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning until the sun broke. I got along with God. That wasn't the first time. It's not the last time. We just need to find that place where God has our attention. And God had Jacob a place where God wanted his attention. And notice we see Jacob is alone. Notice in verse 24, Jacob meets a man who wrestles with him until the breaking of day. Would you notice verse 24 again? There wrestled a man who was wrestling with him until the break of the day. And I want you to watch this. Brother, brother come over here. Now, brother, brother, did you ever wrestle in high school? I didn't. No, no. Okay, well, you don't have to tell me about that, okay? So I want you to imagine, this is Jacob. He looks like a Jacob, amen? Okay? This is Jacob, and we're wrestling, okay? So I want you to imagine, Jacob did not expect this was going to happen. So the, the angel comes up to him and engages Jacob in a match, and he's got him like this, but he can't prevail over him. Jacob is fighting. So Jacob has his arm around here, and he's trying to, he's trying to break it off, but he keeps break, but he just keeps holding on. He can't break it off. So he keeps breaking off. He doesn't, he can't do it. So this goes on all night. This goes on all night. You have to remember now, when the sun set, it was dark, but maybe it was about eight o'clock at night, and the angel comes to him. He doesn't see what's going on. The angel just comes to him, and he's holding on, but Jacob, Jacob is not startled by this. Jacob is holding on for life. In fact, Jacob, the Bible says he wrestled with him. Jacob was putting some wrestling moves on him, and he wasn't a wrestler. So he's, he's wrestling with him, and so he's trying to get out of it, he's trying to get out of it, he can't get out of it, and he's just going on, and Jacob won't let go. Look what the Bible says here. He wrestled with him until the break of the day. Now, if you ever watch, you ever watch college or Olympic wrestling, 
When those guys get at it after about one minute or two minutes, they have really poured all their strength and energy out. And they're on their knees grappling with each other. I mean, it's a very, very exhausting sport. This went on for several hours, beloved. I'm not sure how many hours. I'm going to guess a minimum of eight to nine hours, maybe a little bit more, that they wrestled the angel. And the angel, if you would, tonight, the angel was the pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. We call this a theophany. This was the Lord Jesus Christ pre-incarnate. Jesus came to wrestle with him. God, Jesus came to catch up with Jacob. Jesus came in person. Jesus came with him. Now watch this. A lot of times you read the commentators and they'll tell you this. This is a passage, verse 24, that talks about us getting a hold of God. Well, that's a good thought, except that is not the point Jacob is at right there. Jacob's not at a point where he's trying to get a hold of God. It's God coming to Jacob and getting a hold of Jacob. He's trying to get Jacob down. But Jacob's resisting. Jacob's giving him pushback. Jacob's saying, you're not going to get me. And even though you're trying to break it off, you're trying to break it off. I'm, he, he, won't, he won't let me break it off. He just keeps on going at it. So here's Jacob saying, I'm not going to let you win. I'm not going to let you prevail over me. Jacob was wrestling with him. And the angel was wrestling with him. And the angel came to say, hey, Jacob, you've got to let go. But here's Jacob. Jacob was showing what he really was. Jacob was showing to Jesus right there in this physical confrontation. He was a man that wouldn't let go. He he was a man that would just keep pushing on God and pushing his luck and pushing his way with God. And so as God came to him and said, Jacob, you've got to let go. Jacob would not let go. He would just keep on holding on to him. And as the angel tried to prevail, and you've got to imagine, just the Lord Jesus Christ. He's trying to prevail over him. Jacob said, no. Can I tell you something tonight? Jesus said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. But you know something? With a lot of our lives, when we're stubborn and disobedient, stuck in our ways, there's that's that one thing that pushes Jesus back. And here's the Savior, the God of all the universe, who says, I, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. He's wrestling with Jacob. And Jacob's just like you and me. We, we won't let go. We won't let go. <clears throat> Look at verse 25. When he, that is the angel, saw that he prevailed not against him. May, may I give you a thought tonight? When God wants our attention, what a wonderful thing it is when we let the Lord have His way. What a hard thing it is when the Lord wants our way. Can you imagine if this is all He wanted Him to do was He'd hold Him and Jacob would just put His arms to His side and He says, sure, Lord, whatever you want me to do. And the Lord could just say, well, that's exactly where I want you to be. But that wasn't where Jacob wanted to be. Jacob wanted to just keep holding on and wanted to, and wanted to wrestle and fight with Him. And the angel of God, the Lord said this, when he prevailed not with him, he said, let me go then. He said, if you're not going to let me have control, then let go. Jacob was a man who wouldn't let go. He wouldn't let go of his fears. He wouldn't let go of his little faith. He wouldn't let go of his selfishness. He wouldn't let go of his stubbornness. He wouldn't let go of his disobedience. He wouldn't let go. And notice what it says in verse 25. When he saw that he prevailed not against him, he said, okay, Jacob... You're too strong. You're too strong. Okay, Jacob, you're showing me that as the hours go by, you're stubbornly resisting. One hour has gone by, and two hours have gone by, and three hours have gone by, and four hours have gone by, and the angel keeps pushing back. But Jacob just keeps, he keeps pushing him back, and the angel keeps pushing him. And then Jacob starts pushing him back. Five hours goes by, six hours goes by, seven hours goes by, eight hours go by, and the angel's still not prevailing. So watch this. The angel, watch what it says here. The Bible says he touched 
the hollow of his side. Basically, Jesus didn't have to. Jesus didn't have to give him a knee here. Jesus didn't have to. Jesus didn't have to just give him a, a slap there. All Jesus had to do is one finger like this, and he fell. He touched him. And the Bible says in verse 25, when he saw he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his side. Let go for a minute. Now you know this about you, you know this about your body. One of the strongest parts, if not the strongest part of your body, are your legs. And where he touched him. He touched the hollow of his side. I, I've known people who've had hip replacement surgeries and where they've sat on planes and because the surgery was not successful, bad, old technology, where they'd sit on the plane for a period of time, their hip would pop out. And they'd be in terrible pain. And they would have to tell the flight attendant, as soon as you land, you've got to call the hospital to send somebody here to get me off this plane because I can't get this pop back in. And you can imagine, as soon as the Lord touched that, touched his hip, there must have been this loud popping noise. He touched the strongest part of his body. The part of his body that supported all of him. He touched the strongest part of his body. And there was this popping noise. And you can imagine that Jacob, as he fell, Jacob no longer is holding on and resisting. Jacob is clinging for life. Jacob has gone to holding on for because he's self-willed to where he's holding on for his life. God touched the strongest part of Jacob to disable him. God touched him in such a way that Jacob felt the pain. I can imagine when the pop came and the hurt came, there's, there's tears coming down his eyes and he's crying and the angel's trying to move, but Jacob's holding on. Jacob won't go. The angel keeps on trying to move, but, angel, but he said, no, I'm not going to let you go. And here's Jacob now. Jacob now is at a place where God wants to get every one of us. Instead of trying to cling and hold on to our ways and our stubbornness, where God wants us to be is that we're holding on to God because we realize if we don't hold on to God, we have nothing else in life to hold on to. So notice what happens here. The Bible says he touched the hollow of his thigh. The hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. He disabled Jacob. He put him in pain. Disabled Jacob so where he got Jacob's attention. He had to touch the strongest part of Jacob's life for Jacob to realize he wasn't stronger than God. Watch this tonight. You may have to identify this evening or the next few days what is the strongest thing about you. But the strongest thing about you might be the very thing God has to touch and disabled in order for us to realize we need the Lord. So Jacob's here. He can't walk on two feet anymore. The angel just touched the hollow of his thigh. The hollow of his thigh pops out. As the hollow of his thigh pops out, there's pain, there's grimace, there's weeping, there's crying, there's hurt. He's thinking his mind is going from fear and distress to realizing I've got to have faith and I've got to cling to God. He started to realize it wasn't so much how important Jacob was, what he was really thinking about. Okay, What he's really thinking about is who's holding on to me. And what is tonight? What is the strongest thing about you? That God has to touch to help you realize you need the Lord. Jacob was clinging because he wouldn't let go. He wouldn't let go of his old ways. But now he's at a point where the strongest part of him was touched. And he's holding on because he realized, I need the Lord. Let's read the rest and see what happens. Thank you, Brother Tuan. The angel said to him in verse 26... Let me go for the day breaketh. And notice the difference in Jacob. He said, I will not let thee go, except, except thou bless me. 
That's kind of like Jabez praying, Oh, that thou hast blessed me indeed, enlarge my coast, that thy hand may be upon me, that I might not see evil. He was praying to God. He said, God, my name means sorrow. My mother bore me in sorrow. I'm disadvantaged from everybody else, all my contemporaries. He said, Lord, I need something from God. And he prayed to God. He said, Oh, that thou hast blessed me. And listen, as you study the context of Jabez's prayer, he prayed a prayer that said, God, if you don't bless me, I'm not going to make it. Listen, that's the same thing Epaphras did in Colossians 4.12. The Bible says he labored fervently in his prayers to God for them. He got a hold of God. He prayed that they would stand perfect, complete in all the will of God. And here's Jacob there. He's saying, Listen, I'm at a place now. I realize all all these hours and all my life, all my 50 to 55 previous years, I've been fighting with God and pushing God away. I've been resisting God. My self-will and my stubbornness and my, my independence has got in the way. And I've been trying to tell God what to do. Now God has come along my life and God has touched me in the strongest area of my life to bring me to that place of realizing that I need the Lord. And he said, listen, I'm here by myself and my family's gone ahead. And I realized, Lord, I've, I've missed it. I've missed what you've been doing in my life. I've let things go by. I've wasted the last 20 years of my life. He said, listen, tonight you want me to let go? I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to let go until you bless me. I'm going to tell you tonight, you're never going to have a prayer life that God can bless. You're never going to see your unsaved relatives saved. You're never going to see God do something great in your life. Do you get to a place like Jacob where God is able to touch whatever strongest in your life? And then when you get a hold of God, you realize at that moment in time, God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I think for a lot of us, we read this passage so many times that more of a theory, it's more of a story than a reality. Do you need the Lord? Does the Lord know you need Him? Are you holding on to God for dear life? First time in his life, God had Jacob at a place where he needed to be. Let me go. The day breaketh. I won't let you go. Except thou bless me. Prevailing prayer. Prevailing in the presence of God. Jacob's disabled. You see, if we don't let go of being selfish and stubborn and disobedient and proud, God has to touch this strongest point in our life to weaken us. He'll deplete a bank account. But take away a life. But take away an idol that we're enamored with. He'll take our big ego and our personality and bring it down, crashing down. To help us to realize we need Him. Many times we have to ask ourselves this as we kind of take account of our lives. If I didn't have all these things... What kind of Christian would I be? Do the things define me? Or does my heart for Christ define who I am? Jacob's disabled. But notice as we close tonight, would you notice one more thing? We see Jacob's discovery. Jacob said, I can't let you go. I won't let you go except thou bless me. You see, if you think you can get to heaven without Jesus, you're wrong. If you think you can live your life without God being first, you're wrong. 
If you think you can have a plan B that does not require God in your life, you're wrong. Listen, he learned his plan B would not work. His scheming would not work. His manipulation would work. His wealth would not work. His money would not work. His, his, his conniving would not work. He realized all that would not work. He was at the place where God wanted and God touched him at the strongest point of his life. So what did he discover? Well, notice several things here. Notice, first of all, in verse 27. Jacob is at the place in life where he makes a confession of his sinful ways. Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go except thou bless me. Here's an interesting thing. Before God can bless, we've got to get the sin out of our lives, do we not? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And he looks at him and he says, okay, you want me to bless you? What's your name? What's your name? When Jacob called his name Jacob... For the first time in his life, he recognized what he really was. He said, oh, Jacob, I'm a heel grabber. I'm a conniver. I'm a manipulator. Jacob, when he announced his name, he announced what he really was. He, he made a confession of his nature. He made a confession how he'd been living and how he not, he not let God have control of his life. He made a confession that he was a, a man that was living for self and taking advantage of others. He lived his entire life taking advantage of other people. And he saw for the first time he couldn't take advantage of God. He thought he could get the upper hand on God. And God said, you can't get an upper hand on me. I've got the upper hand on you. He makes a confession. I declare tonight that Maybe there needs to be a lot of confession tonight. Secondly, notice Jacob received God's favor in his life. When he said that, remember previous to that, he prayed for God's blessing. But the blessing couldn't come until he acknowledged and confessed who he was. And how he was living. Let's be careful tonight. We can so sanitize our appearance by being churchgoers, that everybody that sees us on the outside doesn't really know what's going on the inside. But God who sees the outside also sees the inside, does he not? And when he sees the inside, he knows what we really are. And he asks us our name and he asks us, who are you really? Tell me about your character. Are you, do, you, do you spend time saying, Lord, examine my character? Can we pray like David? Lord, search me. Try me. And see if there be any wicked way in me. By the way, if you read the context of that, it's not rushing the prayer. Search me. It's like when you're you go to your doctor's exams. There's some exams they do. They do some thorough probing. They're searching. They're trying to find a cancerous growth. They're trying to find what's wrong. They're, they take their time. They're probing around. They're looking around. They're trying to find something that doesn't look right. Listen, we owe it to the light of God's word. And we owe it to the scriptures. And we owe it to the Holy Spirit of God to search us. And to know us. And to probe us. And to go inside of us. And go deep within where nobody else can see. And to tell us what's inside the chamber of that imagery tonight. And so, when he acknowledged his name, notice he received God's blessing, verse 28. Thy name shall be no more called Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. I love that verse. He got a name change, but listen, more than a name change. You could change your name, but if your nature doesn't change, a name change doesn't help you, Amen. 
He got a nature change and he got a he got a name change and he got a change in his life there as the sun was coming up that morning. He said, your name is changed. He said, you're no longer to be called Jacob, but your name is Israel. And listen, when you read the Psalms, you read the rest of the Old Testament, take careful note. Sometimes when he uses the term Jacob and then he uses Israel, he's contrasting the two different natures. He's contrasting the old nature being Jacob and the new nature being Israel. He says, as a prince, there's power with God. Hey, beloved, aren't you glad tonight that we are kings? Kings and priests with Jesus Christ tonight. The Lord loved Jacob. Prince with God. A prince with God. You've got royalty. You've got the ability to come to my presence. You get a fresh start when you stop being stubborn and disobedient. God blessed him from that time forth. And then so Jacob asked a question. Jacob asked a question in verse 29. He said, wait, wait, wait a minute. Tell me, what's your name? And I like how the Lord Jesus answered him in verse 29. He said, wherefore is it thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. He didn't have to tell him his name. He knew who he was. Listen, sometimes we get there and out of our ignorance, who are you, Lord? We're kind of like, like old Saul. Who art thou, Lord? You know who he is. Jesus didn't have to tell him what his name was. He wanted Jacob to realize it was God that met him for the first time. Notice, face to face. And we need to solve conflicts. We need to solve things. We don't solve it by email. There's too much stuff. We're trying to manage relations, manage things through email and, and all this stuff. Listen, you know what John said? I have many things to write here. I'd rather come to you and see you face to face. And God doesn't want us resolving things by sending him an email and say, God, here, forgive me for this. And God's not interested in reading our emails. And God's not interested in getting a text message from us. And God's not interested in what you're posting on Facebook. God is more interested in you and I having a face-to-face meeting with God. Amen. And notice here we see him, he sees right, right then in that spot when he says, what is your name? He says, what do you ask my name for? And he blessed him there. Jacob knew something's different. Yes, his hip was disabled. And yes, he was weakened that side of his body. But as he was blessed, and notice what happens in verse 30. And Jacob called the name of that place. Can you imagine the enlightenment? Can you imagine the illumination in his heart? Can you imagine the discovery in Jacob's life at that moment? He called that place Peniel. Now, I don't think Jacob was a preacher, but I think he was thinking like a preacher at that moment. He looked at that location at the Fort Jabbok. He was at this crossroads of life. And he said, man, at Bethel, I call that the house of God. That used to be called Luz, but now it's called the house of God. Now he's over here at Penal. He said, here, I've seen God face to face. Now he'd seen God before, but now God was really real in his life. He said, I've seen God face to face. I've wrestled with God and God's touched the strongest part of me and God has disabled me. I've seen God face to face. I've seen God. I've been in his presence. He's changed my life there. Until that moment, Jacob would not come to God on God's terms. But at that moment of time, he was meeting with God on God's terms. Watch what happens here. God comes to him face to face. And through a physical altercation, he changes Jacob. And this physical altercation results in a spiritual alteration. Look what happens to Jacob. As he passed over Penuel. Jacob was there left alone. Jacob's intention before the angel came to him was, I think I'm just going to stay here for a little bit. But now he's gotten release. He's gotten liberty. He's gotten power. He's gotten the blessing. 
the burden's been lifted. And notice what it tells us here in verse, verse 31. See, he passed over Peniel. He's leaving that place now. Peniel's right here. He's leaving it. And the Bible says, as he left, left of the sun, started to go up, and he halted upon his thigh. For the rest of his life, he would walk with a limp. He dragged that foot because of the dislocated hip. He would move slowly. He would move with pain. There'd be a little bit of a grimace. He would have to get used to walking with a limp. He would have to get used to being weakened. He would have to get used to the fact he couldn't run like the rest of the men could run. He would have to get used to the fact he couldn't bend down and lift things like before. He'd walk the rest of his life with a limp. He'd walk with a limp like this and walk with a limp like that. He'd walk with a limp. And the Bible says here, Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh and the sinew that shrank. So significant was this. This got passed down by Hebrew tradition. And they said, we're not going to even eat anything. We're not going to touch that marrow inside there. We're not going to touch that there because that's sacred. What God did to Jacob that day was something sacred and something holy. Don't you look on some trial and don't you look at some disablement that God does to you is being something that God does to you because He hates you. I tell you tonight, if God does something like that, it's because He loves us. And because God loves us, we have to look on the disablement or the disfigurement or whatever that trauma may be as God's touch and favor upon our life. We have to see it as God, as something holy and sacred that God is doing in your life and mine. So prominent. So prominent. So life-changing. Our verses 28 to 32. It was spoken of many times and many years after. Go with me to the book of Hosea chapter 12. And Hosea, as he's talking about Jacob and Israel, notice what Hosea's commentary about this in Hosea chapter 12 verses 3 and 4 about Jacob and Israel. Hosea chapter 12 verses 3 to 4. He took his brother by the heel in the womb. That's how he came out in the world. He came out as a deceiver. By the way, we're all born the same way. And sin did my mother conceive me. He took his brother by the heel of the womb. He came out as a deceiver, a supplanter, a conniver. And he says, by his strength, he had power with God. Notice, by his strength, he had power with God. He was trying on his own terms to have power with God. But then something happened in verse 4. Yea, he had power over the angel prevailed. How did that happen? Not in his own powers, because he held on for dear life. The angel touched the strongest point of Jacob and disabled him. And when he did so, Jacob was clinging for his life. He wasn't holding on to the old ways. He was holding on to God. And the Bible says, yea, he had power over the angel prevailed. And he wept and he made supplication unto him. He found him in Bethel and there he spake with him. Notice it says he wept and made supplication. I imagine Jacob there as he fell on his face, as he fell on his knees holding on to the angel. He's weeping, he's crying, he's thinking, what a terrible man I've been. What a conniver I've been. What an independent person I've been. What a, what a, what a just an unbelieving person I've been. And he's at this place, he says, God, I need power with you. And God, I need something from you. I'm going to tell you tonight, it might be God has to break something. God has to disable something. God has to weaken something. But praise God, if He does that, it's so that we can have power with God and power with men. Listen tonight. You're only living a second-class life if God doesn't have total control. You are living with less than God's best if you're living your life your way. There is no victory. There are no answers to prayer. By the way, look at verse 4. Verse 4, Isaiah 12, 4 tells us the secret to answer prayer. Prayer takes work. Prayer takes time. 
Prayer involves tears. Prayer involves surrender. Prayer is not complaining. Praying is not even a precatory. Praying is spending time with God. Being like Paul, always in every prayer of mine, making requests with joy. Is it joy to you to pray for people or you something about the person bugs you, you pray against them? God's not going to answer that kind of prayer. Paul said, always in every prayer of mine, making requests with joy. Notice the last thing the Bible tells us about Jacob. If you look at Hebrews eleven twenty one, Did you notice a fitting departure of this patriarch of God out of this world? By faith. He learned faith at that at Peniel. By faith, he learned faith. He learned faith there. What's faith? Holding on to God. Say, I won't let you go unless you bless me. Thank you, Lord, for disabling me. Thank you, Lord, for touching that part of my life that helped me to realize it's been all about me, not all about you, Lord. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph, Ephraim, Manasseh. Notice this. He worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. That old pilgrim, he formerly held the staff and walked like a normal man, proud, arrogant. I can do my thing. This is my job. Look at me. My staff represents all these sheep I own. But now he's disabled. He's an older man. But even as an older man, he leaned upon that staff. Because every limp, every limp, was a reminder of that man of the life-changing alteration that happened there at Peniel. Jacob met God face to face. I encourage us tonight, when we meet God face to face, something always changes. Moses went up to the mountain and spent 40 days with the Lord. His face shined as the sun. Something changed. Elijah hid himself by the book Kirith. But something changed. David came out of the cave of Adullam. Something changed. Paul was in Arabia for three years. Something changed. Paul had failing eyesight. But he learned his grace was sufficient for him. Don't you want to meet God face to face? I'm not talking about leaving this life and going to heaven. We know that's going to happen. I'm talking about right now. Don't you want God to kind of search and see what's the strongest thing about me and strongest thing about you that tonight just the finger of God could touch to loosen, to disable. So we have God's power. We're starting these adult growth groups and we're really praying for this fall that God will trust us, the stewards of his gospel, in reaching many souls for Christ. And I'm going to tell you, one of, our, one of our faults about modern day Christianity, we know the Roman road so well, we can't give the Roman road without tears coming down our eyes. We don't have tears. We don't have a passion. We don't have a concern for souls. What we need is for God to touch what's strongest about us and to get us to the point of life where we see God face to face. Would you let God touch you tonight?
Would you see him face to face? Would you spend time with him? Would you let him do a physical altercation with you? So it could be a spiritual alteration inside you. If you're not saved tonight, the first thing you want to do is make sure that you're ready to meet God face to face by knowing Jesus Christ as Savior. For the rest of us as believers tonight, God wants to touch something that's strong inside of us and weaken it and bring it to the point where instead of being Jacob, who will not let go, we'll be a Jacob who clings and says, Lord, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. Father, tonight we... I don't know about everybody else, but I know for me, every time I go through this passage of Scripture, it does something for me. Everything here about Jacob, Lord, I need that in my life. Forgive me and forgive us as a congregation for things that are just so strong about us. Strong personality, strong ego, strong pride, strong will. Lord, maybe tonight, even in this auditorium, the Spirit of God is trying to touch something that's very strong in us. So it could be surrendered to the Lord. Raise up in our midst men and women, boys and girls, who hold on to you. And say, well, like Jacob, except that I won't let you go, except thou bless me. Lord, we put our self-will, our independence, our stubbornness, our disobedience, our pride, our resistance. Paul, uh, Stephen said to those Jews, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. Our plan B's, our plotting, our manipulation, always trying to figure things out our way. Lord, we put it at the altar tonight. Help us to get alone somewhere. And we even recognize maybe in our heart right now, God is wrestling with us, but we're pushing you back. Forgive us for pushback. Forgive us for resistance. Dear Lord, have your way tonight. May there be victory instead of independence and dependence. Instead of tragedy, trust. Instead of fighting faith. Instead of fear, faith. Lord, help us tonight to do it the Bible way. We give you the invitation time. If someone here tonight is not saved, I pray they'd realize maybe they need to stop fighting with you. Stop pushing you off. And acknowledge with their heart they need the Lord. Use the invitation time to help us, restore us, to spiritually alter us. We pray for this, Lord, tonight in Jesus' name. Let's stand. You come join me at the altar as God leads you tonight. Pianist is going to play. Let's meet the Lord face to face. You met God face to face. We need a time with God. Jacob met with the Lord face to face. Let's meet with God. There's pain. There's scars. There'll be the evidence that God touched us. But what's worse, a limp or the blessing of God? Last thing we read about Jacob, by faith, while he was dying, he blessed both the sons of Jacob, worshiping, leaning upon that staff. That's where God wants us to be. Would you let Him touch you? Would you let Him touch the strongest part about us so God can have His way? Fathers, we kneel here tonight around the auditorium. We're not rushing anything. We realize, Lord, there's too much that's strong about us. 
too much that's mighty about us, too much about us that needs to be disabled, that needs to be weakened, that needs to be brought to naught. Lord, we thank you tonight for this precious, timely story about Jacob where he was left alone and the rest of the man with him through the evening. And it could be tonight that you're trying to get our attention. It might be through setbacks. It might be through a trial. It might be through a difficulty. I'm not sure what it could be, Lord. It might be through a health trial, whatever it might be. But, Lord, you're trying to get our attention. It's not how much we do. It's how much we allow the Lord to do with us. We pray for surrender we need and the trust. We know it's scary to trust in God. We know it's fearful to have faith in God. But, Lord, thank you that you love us. And thank you, God, when we are willing to trust you and depend upon you, the changes we need in our life always come by the hand of the Lord. Father, take this passage of Scripture. Let it revive us. Let let it build us. Let it mature us. Let it strengthen us. And may we give you the glory and praise. May we be just like Jacob. We look at a place that we can call the penile of our life where we met God face to face. Father, help us to go home tonight. People determined by God's power and grace to win souls. And people by your power and grace determined to live the kind of life that God wants us to live. And determined by your power to be victorious over the things that formerly held us captive. May you get the glory tonight, the honor and the praise. All these things we commit to and pray for now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight I'm thank you for being here. Just a couple of things very quickly on our announcements. Um, join us for Soul Winning Saturday. We're looking forward to a great day at Soul Winning this Saturday. Uh, determined to be with us on Saturday um, uh, the 19th at 9.30. We're going to have a light breakfast. That's our annual Soul Winning Marathon right before our missions conference. Join us for that. Set aside on your calendar on Wednesday night, August 22nd through Sunday, August 26th. to Join us for our missions conference. It's going to be a great missions conference. We're just working, planning on some things today. We're excited about the speakers and what God's going to do in our hearts. And really praying that the Lord will start working your heart and my heart about faith promise missions and all that will go on. We have a lot of good testimonies that will be shared that night on those nights there. And you be set that aside to be there for that. So do that if you would. And be in prayer for this Sunday as we go live with the with the uh, the the classes that will be over in the uh, the Berean Center. Be prayerful for that and and uh, just pray that, you know, use the opportunity to bring people to. We've got about maybe a 60 to 90 day window uh, for this fall just to really take advantage of using this building as a tool and getting a lot of good traction with people throughout the area. We can invite to see the building to be part of our classes and things. And, and the worst thing could happen, you just have uh, more people than you have space. That means we just have to start a new class. Amen? And that's a good thing to do. But you pray that the Lord would just help us to see expansion and growth through that. And let's guard our heart. Now, let me just say this tonight. We caught a little bit of this Sunday night. Now, there's a lot of things that perhaps you're going to see. Maybe you don't like the chairs or you don't like the colors, whatever. Let's not have a bad spirit, okay? Do all things without murmuring and complaining. Amen? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Here's what you should say. Now, if somebody gets around, this happened to me on Sunday night. I barely, I barely just cut the ribbon, was standing in the lobby. Someone who was a visitor came and said, I liked everything you did except one thing you said and started ripping into me about all these things are wrong. And I said, you know, I, I'm not going to apologize. I'm not going to retract what I said. I'm sorry you got offended, but I'm not going to retract what I said. And I said, you know, why don't you just go enjoy the building, enjoy that. It just kept on going on, going on. I, I was just glad I prayed extra that morning because I would have gotten in the flesh for a few minutes there. Amen, you know. But I'm just saying to hate, okay? Now, when people do that, here's what your response should be. You know what? Praise the Lord. God gave us this building. And praise the Lord. God's given us 15,000 square feet of space. And we're not worrying about the physical aspect. We're just concerned about how God's going to change lives in this building. That's what you should say. And they're getting caught up with all the peripheral stuff. Just be concerned and focus on here's what's right. You know, because people are trying to size up whether they can do this and do that. Maybe some of you are. Have a good spirit. Amen. Don't lose your joy. I said this. When a construction program finishes, don't lose your joy. Get your joy. Your joy is about this. Amen. 
Get your joy about the Lord. Don't get caught off in these things. There are always things that can be changed, always things that can be better. But let's focus on one thing. What The most important that should be better after church is this should be better. This should be better, amen? God bless you for being here tonight. Those of you who have the meeting with me, let's go straight to the chapel tonight for the meeting. I'll let you go home. God bless you.